Thanks, Jonathan. Uh, we're in Isaiah 25, so if you'd like to turn uh, there now. Isaiah 25, O Lord, you are my God, I will exalt you, I will praise your name, for you have done wonderful things, plans formed of old, faithful and sure, for you have made the city a heap, the fortified city a ruin, the foreigner's palace is a city no more, it will never be rebuilt, therefore strong peoples will glorify you, cities of ruthless nations will fear you, for you have been a stronghold to the poor, a stronghold to the needy in his distress a shelter from the storm and a shade from the heat. For the breath of the ruthless is like a storm against a wall, like heat in a dry place. You subdue the noise of the foreigners as heat by the shade of a cloud, as the song of the ruthless is put down. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow of aged wine well refined and he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples the veil that is spread over all nations he will swallow up death forever and the lord god will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth for the lord has spoken it will be said on that day behold this is our god we have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. For the hand of the Lord will rest on this mountain and Moab will be trampled down in his place as straw is trampled down in a dunghill. And he will spread out his hands in the midst of it as a swimmer spreads out his hands out to swim. But the Lord will lay low his pompous pride together with the skill of his hands and the high fortifications of his walls he will bring down, lay low and cast to the ground, to the dust. Let's pray. Uh, our Father, we pray that as we uh, look at this passage, uh, you would uh, strengthen our hearts, uh, clear our minds, and our trust in your Son uh, would grow. And we ask it in his name. Amen. Uh, one of the passages in the New Testament that I find uh, the most interesting is Jesus' healing of Lazarus. Uh, there are just so many fascinating details about it. For example, when Jesus is told that Lazarus is sick, uh, his friend Lazarus is sick, what does he do? He doesn't go immediately to Bethany, but waits uh, another two days. And then when Jesus comes to the tomb of Lazarus, famously he weeps. Uh, he knows that he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead. Uh, he'll see his friend in a few moments, and yet he weeps. That's not the only emotion he displays. Uh, John tells us that he was, and most of the uh, English translations render it something like deeply moved, but actually the word conveys anger. Uh, Jesus is angry. Why is he angry? Well, here he is confronting what Paul calls the last enemy, death. Uh, the enemy that all of us in this room have been or will be touched by. Here is the Son of God standing against death. And as he confronts it, he reacts with grief and with anger. But he defeats it. 
death is a defeated foe. Verse 8, he will swallow up death forever. Uh, earlier in John's Gospel, uh, John recounts Jesus' first sign uh, when he turns water into wine at the wedding of Cana. And uh, commentators rightly point out that there's a deeper significance to this sign being the first one that John uh, recounts. It's not just a parlor trick. It's not just an example of uh, Jesus honoring his mother who asks him to intervene. Now, the significance of that sign that Jesus performs lies in the passage we're looking at this morning. Uh, The water into finest wine has its roots in this passage in Isaiah 25, verse 6. On the mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food, full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined. But that banquet itself is a result of death being swallowed up forever. And so John in his gospel, right at the beginning, points us back to this passage of Isaiah. For, For John's gospel, it is the Old Testament book of Isaiah that most helps us to grasp the depth and power of Jesus' work in defeating death. But even in its own terms, uh, this is one of the most powerful and hope-filled passages in the Old Testament. And like last week, uh, the theme of singing uh, runs through the passage, and uh, the passage starts with a song of thanksgiving. Isaiah begins by praising God, my God, because He has kept His promises. I will praise Your name, for You have done wonderful things plans formed of old, faithful and sure. And this is the stance of faith. Uh, God has shown him what he will do. God has told him, this is what I'm going to do. And Isaiah praises him for his faithfulness. Uh, The fact that God has promised it is as good as if it is already done. And so Isaiah reacts with praise. In uh, Isaiah 24 last week, we saw another type of singing. We saw the uh, raucous drinking songs Uh, that helped people lose their uh, inhibitions and showed the worst of humanity. Well, here Isaiah engages in personal, intimate praise of God, praise to the God who has kept his word and remained faithful and sure, praise to the God who is so different to the God of the nations, who, who can't plan, who are lifeless, who are dumb, who have no power. No, this God, the God of the Bible, is powerful. He executes his plans. And again, like last week, we see that Isaiah is praising God particularly for the defeat of his enemies. Verse 2, you have made the city a heap, the fortified city a ruin. The foreigner's palace is a city no more. It will never be rebuilt. And by defeating uh, uh, their enemies, verse 4, you have been a stronghold to the poor, a stronghold to the needy in his distress, a shelter from the storm, a shade from the heat, for the breath of the ruthless is like a storm against a wall. Uh, Isaiah gives us this wonderfully rich description of God, a a stronghold, a shelter, a a shade, uh, distress, heat, and storm, uh, all damaging, unpleasant experiences, all experienced by God's people as we live in this world. But God is our refuge in all of them. And God is our refuge by subduing the enemy. And so end of verse 5, so the song of the ruthless is put down. Again, last week we we, uh, have singing started and singing stopped because of God's judgment. God's people sing because their enemies are defeated and God's enemies 
stop singing because they have been judged. But then wonderfully, Isaiah stretches forward, uh, not just to the defeat of earthly enemies, but to the defeat of the last great enemy, uh, death. And the response won't just be singing, uh, but will be an end time feast. Verse 6, on the mountain of uh, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well refined. Uh, the nicest meal I've probably ever had uh, was one I had with some friends at a restaurant in Dublin uh, called Rowley's Bistro, if you're ever visiting. Uh, we were looking for a place to eat before uh, going to watch a rugby match. Um, we'd looked at a, a burger place, but we thought, yeah, we'll have something a little bit nicer. And then we saw Rowley's Bistro. And we were amazed because this was a high-quality restaurant with prices that were only a little bit more than the burger shop next door. So seven euros, about seven dollars for a steak. Uh, we couldn't believe our luck. Uh, we went all out and we had an unbelievable meal. It was a feast of rich food. And it wasn't until right at the end that we realized our mistake. Uh, the prices we'd been looking at uh, were prices in addition to the set menu price. So it wasn't seven euros for a steak, it was seven euros in addition to the 30 euros for the set menu. Uh, it was a beautiful meal. It was an expensive <laughs> meal. Uh, wonderfully, uh, the meal that is promised here is free, and it will make Rowley's Bistro look like KFC. And uh, that's nothing against KFC, it's my son's favorite restaurant. Um, <laughs> But uh, what we have here is more, uh, more than a promise of wonderful food and drink. It's a promise of death defeated. Uh, but God will not simply abolish death, not just kind of command that it, it vanish. No, continuing the banquet imagery, he will swallow death up forever. He will swallow it. We will swallow the wonderful food and drink of this banquet because God will swallow death forever. Is there a sweeter promise in the Bible than this? Death gone forever. An eternity of enjoying relationship with each other, with God, and not having that gnawing thought at the back of your mind, this is wonderful, but it can't last forever. Wonderfully, it will last forever death gone forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. I imagine that nearly every one of us in this room has been touched by death. Uh, some, I know, have been touched by it very recently. A grandparent, a parent, a friend, a child. Uh, whether it was uh, expected or sudden, uh, the grief of death feels like it consumes us. Death is devastating. And the Bible is not trite or glib in its response to death. You know, it'll be okay in the end. No, minutes before he would raise his friend from the dead, Jesus wept. Minutes before he would raise his friend from the dead, Jesus raged against death. But in Christ, God has defeated death. Christ has swallowed death for us. He has risen from the dead. The reproach 
has been taken away. And so the Lord will wipe every tear from our faces. And we know that because of the last phrase of verse 8. Again, we know it, for the Lord has spoken. And again, that that note underlines what we've seen these weeks in Isaiah, that the stance that Isaiah wants, that he himself has learned from God, is one of faith in God's Word. And he reflects on that in the next verse, verse 9, it will be said on that day, behold, this is our God, we have waited for Him that He might save us. This is the Lord, we have waited for Him. Let us be glad and rejoice in our salvation. We have waited for His salvation. Again, think about how this connects to the rest of the book of Isaiah. The the temptation that God's people have, have faced the whole way through this book is to put their trust in the nations for their salvation, the strong and the powerful. But again and again, God has shown that He will break and has broken the strong and the powerful nations. What He wants His people to do is to wait for Him to save them, not to try to save themselves, not to look to the nations for their salvation. This theme runs throughout Isaiah uh, chapter 30, verse 18, the Lord waits to be gracious to you. Wonderful image of the Lord Himself waiting to be gracious to you. Uh, the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for Him. And it's a theme that doesn't just run through um, Isaiah. It runs through the, the New Testament. John, uh, Paul draws on uh, Isaiah heavily, uh, especially in uh, Romans. And this idea of waiting for the Lord is a dimension of faith that the New Testament develops. 1 Thessalonians 1, we wait for His Son from heaven, who He raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Romans 8, 23, we wait eagerly for our adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Uh, Isaiah gives us the deep structures of salvation. And so the obvious application for us as we hear God's Word this morning is the reminder that faith in God, faith in Christ alone, is what saves us. And we wait on His salvation. But I think uh, we also see Paul drawing on the ideas in this chapter and throughout Isaiah, not just in terms of our own personal faith, but in terms of the gospel that we proclaim. Uh, We thought about 1 Corinthians 1 and 2 last week, uh, the temptation we face is always to communicate the gospel in a way that only answers the questions the world thinks are important. Uh, But God has made foolish. He has judged the wisdom of the world. And nothing shows that more clearly than the inability of the world to cope or explain death. Our world is held in what Hebrews calls slavery, to the fear of death. Uh, Death is the enemy that stalks the fulfilled life. Uh, We can't escape it. We need to be rescued from it. And that is the hope that Isaiah holds out in this chapter. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of His people He will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. We will swallow the wonderful food of this banquet because God has swallowed up death forever. And He's done it, as Hebrew puts it, because Jesus suffered death so that He might taste death for everyone. 
And Paul gives the fullest expression to verse 8 when he cites it in 1 Corinthians 15. Following the resurrection of the dead, death is swallowed up in victory. Judah were tempted to look to Egypt, to Assyria, even Babylon to save them. But it is the Lord who will deliver them, not just from their earthly enemies, but from the ultimate enemy of every human being who has ever lived, the enemy of death. And so, let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Salvation is for those who wait on the Lord. But for those who don't wait on the Lord, uh, the end of our passage shows us uh, the expectation of judgment. This mountain will not just simply be a mountain of um, salvation and banqueting and feasting. It will be a mountain of judgment, verse 10. The hand of the Lord will rest on this mountain. Moab will be trampled down in his place as straw is trampled down in a dunghill. He'll spread out his hands in the midst of it as a swimmer spreads out his hands to swim. But the Lord will lay low his pompous pride together with the skill of his hands and the high fortification of his walls he will bring down, lay low, cast to the ground, to the dust. Why, why Moab? Why is Moab singled out? Well, throughout the Old Testament, throughout the book of Isaiah, Moab is symbolic of arrogant opposition to God, which thinks it can save itself. So chapter 16, we've heard of the pride of Moab, how proud he is of his arrogance, his pride, and his insolence. But in his idol boasting, he is not right. If salvation is waiting in faith in the Lord, well, judgment comes uh, for the arrogant refusal to trust in the Lord and to do things your own way. And, and uh, no one epitomizes that more than Moab. It's, it's, a, it's a byword of human pride, of self-salvation. And so in this final uh, image in our chapter, we have this this confronting idea of Moab uh, trampled and, and crushed near to death in a dung heap, but, but even then trying to save himself by swimming in this kind of futile attempt. Uh, it's, it's a graphic image, and it's, it's meant to, to, to evoke in us the futility of trying to arrogantly save ourselves. When the Lord is your enemy, there is no hope. And so Moab's pride is humbled. Uh, his attempt to save himself is thwarted. Well, just stepping back and thinking about this passage as a whole, there, there, there are a number of uh, uh, things we need to, uh, to remember. First of all, wonderfully, this passage gives us comfort in the face of death, the death of our loved ones, uh, but even as we face our own death. Uh, Tim Keller, you might know, has recently been diagnosed with uh, pancreatic cancer. And uh, he wrote an article uh, in the last couple of weeks in The Atlantic. And uh, he talks about how being faced uh, quite viscerally with his own death has caused him to, uh, to, to think about his own uh, beliefs. He says, our beliefs about God and an afterlife, if we have them, are often abstractions as well. If we don't accept the reality of death, we don't need these beliefs to be anything other than mental ascents. A feigned battle in a play or a movie requires only stage props. But as death, the last enemy, becomes real to my heart, I realize that my beliefs would have to become just as real to my heart, or I wouldn't be able to get through the day. Theoretical ideas about God's love 
and the future resurrection had to become life-gripping truths or be discarded as useless. This is a a wonderful passage for gripping our hearts, instructing our minds, uh, reminding us to wait on the Lord uh, for our salvation, uh, reminding us that he is the one who has swallowed up death forever. This passage also reminds us of the power of the gospel we preach. It is the gospel of Christ's death and resurrection that is our only hope in the face of death. Uh, This promise of this uh, rich end-time messianic banquet is held out for us here, but the reason that we can enjoy it is because Christ has swallowed up death forever. Unless the Lord returns, the people we speak with next week during mission, we'll all taste death. But wonderfully, we have the words of eternal life, death defeated forever. Let's pray. He will swallow up death forever. The Lord God will wipe wipe away tears from all faces. The reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. Our Father, we pray that you would uh, grip our hearts, uh, clear our minds. We pray for our own uh, conviction of these truths, uh, but also we pray, particularly next week, as we speak with people, uh, we pray that we would point them uh, to the only hope in the face of the last enemy. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Oh, man.